We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning. Well, religious liberty and abortion and topics that are very near and dear to conservative values and our principles and the things that we vote on are back in the news this weekend because of the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit that was held this weekend and comments from the GOP frontrunners as well as Donald Trump's comments that sparked a lot of debate yesterday on Meet the Press. So we'll have a couple of clips uh, for you this morning. And this is what Governor DeSantis said on religious liberty. This is cut one. My Department of Justice will investigate and prosecute attacks on faith-based pregnancy crisis centers and pro-life activists, which the Biden administration is currently ignoring, and they're letting this go on. If government suits targeting faith communities are dismissed in court, there will be consequences against those who brought them. And believe me, we will support quickly dismissing these meritless lawsuits. When my administration goes to court, it will be to defend religious freedom not to attack religious freedom. So Governor DeSantis has been very outspoken on religious liberty protections, on protections for pro-life, and he was one of the governors um, among several, thankfully, across the country that did sign those heartbeat bills and the ban on abortion uh, after just a few weeks. And so Donald Trump, while he did also speak at the uh, Pray, Vote, Stand Summit and was introduced by my very good friend Penny Nance, all of you know her from Concerned Women for a America. She introduced him uh, as the greatest pro-life uh, president in America's history. And then he went on to say this yesterday on Meet the Press. This is cut two. Mr. President, I want to give voters who are going to be weighing in on this election yeah. a very clear sense of where I think you stand I on think they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me. Let, let me what, but what's let Mr. going president, to have to Mr. happen president, is you're going to have to... Christian, you're asking me a question. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months, you're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal ban landed on your desk, if you were reelected, would you sign it at 15 weeks? Are you weeks? talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks that seems to be a number that people are talking about right now would you sign that I, uh, I would i would sit down with both sides and i'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years uh, i'm not going to say i would or i wouldn't 
I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think too what far? he did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. A terrible thing and a terrible mistake. So a lot of pro-life advocates, myself included, were very disappointed to hear that comment. Uh, So joining me now to discuss is Chris Woodward, who is an anchor and reporter right here on American Family Radio. And um, I get to talk to him generally on today's issues, but he joins me this morning. So good morning, Chris, and uh, thanks so much for getting up earlier. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, so you were at the uh, Pray Vote Stand Summit, mm-hmm. and um, and so I wanted to get your take because it was very fascinating to me to see the poll results that I think it was uh, 63% were for President Trump, so he was the clear front runner right. out of that poll, but that was prior to the Meet the Press comments, and abortion clearly is one of the main issues for values voters uh, in the 2024 election. It really was. It really was. Abortion got a lot of mentions in a lot of the speeches, maybe all of them, uh, including the um, luncheons and the panel discussions, uh, the breakout sessions. Um, And FRC um, really made sure that people voted in the straw poll. Uh, they had people standing uh, outside the doors, uh, really at the top of the stairs. Uh, you have to walk down some stairs and around a corner to get into the ballroom where the speeches were being made. Uh, and they had people platoon there at the stairway uh, asking them if they wanted to vote in the straw poll. I did not. Uh, I was a member of the press, so I uh, didn't want to vote and participate there. Uh, but... You know, they made sure that people voted. And again, like you said, this was all done before uh, Trump spoke. I will say that prior to Trump's arrival, um, it seemed to be uh, a pretty substantial size uh, in favor of DeSantis. Uh, when when Donald Trump came and spoke, all of a sudden there was a ton more people in the room. Um, a lot of people uh, stood and cheered uh, Trump on. They had Trump flags and stuff like that. So... Uh, a lot of people that were pro-Trump came in at the last minute, uh, and whether or not they um, had an impact on this poll, I, I don't know for sure, uh, but it stands to reason that given the large onset of a lot of people there at the last minute, they probably did uh, contribute to this poll, and Donald Trump's uh, win by nearly 64% of the vote. That's a really interesting point that a lot of people do come just to see uh, President Trump. And that's also true. I've observed at you know various CPAC events or other places that there's an ongoing conference. And then if he comes in uh, one evening or the last day, then people come in just for that one particular event. And so if the vote was ongoing, then there may have been a different result if it was just the people who were there for the entire summit versus anyone who attended even just one of the speeches. Um, You also had told me yesterday that Trump did mention at the summit that he's in favor um, in the abortion context, exceptions for rape, incest, and health of the mother. Yes. And that has also become um, an interesting, uh, I think, issue because now that the Dobbs decision has given this whole issue back to the people and our elected representatives, which includes not only the state legislatures, but also the federal Congress representatives means everyone um, that is in the legislature on the federal and the state level. Um, these these questions now on the merits are being discussed among conservatives. And, and so we have a huge contrast here between how Governor DeSantis has ardently supported life and how Trump is saying now, even on Meet the Press, as well as to the summit, 
that he's in favor of basically negotiating, um, as he said, what will make everybody happy, including the Democrats. And that's not the conservative position. Mm. No, it's not. Uh, this issue over the federal government getting involved again uh, in abortion is it does not sit well with some or many uh, conservative voters. And I say that based on reactions I get uh, via Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it these days. People that chime in at the bottom of my articles where we might interview people uh, that want no, uh, you know, they, they want a six week band, uh, no exceptions, stuff like that. So there are a lot of so-called sage cons out there, social conservatives that are engaged um, that want uh, babies to be born regardless of the situation that brought them into uh, life. Um, I don't know that that will jeopardize all of Trump's support. A lot of people are just, they're struggling in, in Joe Biden's America because of Bidenomics. They can't afford to live. Uh, their kids are you know hurting. Uh, they can't do this, that, like they used to do under Donald Trump's administration. Um, so a lot of people out there do not want the federal government to get involved. Uh, some people are really happy with the Supreme Court uh, striking down Roe v. Wade and handing the issue over to the states. If you don't like how this state might do abortion, you can go move over there and take your politics, that kind of uh, thing. So a lot of people were, I think, taken aback by his comments. Again, not everybody uh, you know, is going to be impacted. Some people still like Trump uh, because he did put uh, three justices on the Supreme Court that did overturn Roe v. Wade. He made sure to mention that early on. Uh, in his speech, uh, he talked about being, uh, he said he was, quote, proud to have been the most pro-life president in American history. So this will be an issue that will irk uh, some voters going forward. Um, going back to the straw poll, DeSantis came in second. Uh, he got about 28% of the votes. Uh, surprisingly, somebody voted for, well, five people voted for Joe Biden. I don't know what they were thinking, <laughs> but uh, so... Uh, Let's let's hope that they that that was an accident yes. and that five people just had no they they thought it was let's you know yeah. vote for the the person you'd vote for last right I think there. the liberals in the press area behind me were the ones that voted for Joe Biden uh, All they right, were there you go. they were not friendly <laughs> uh, to the cause based on things I heard them say to people uh, but uh, you know so a lot DeSantis did have a large following there he got a lot of applause when he talked about life. Uh, a lot of people really applauded him. And even Tony Perkins, in his comments about the straw poll findings, uh, praised both Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis for standing strong against the cor cancel culture, woke corporate stuff, religious freedom, defending the family, stuff like that. And I'm speaking with uh, Chris Woodward, who is an anchor and reporter here at AFR. And I thought it was also interesting, Chris, going back and uh, watching all of the clips of President Trump's speech mm -hmm. and also what his team chose to amplify. And a lot of this was focused on other policy issues other than abortion and religious liberty, which uh, Governor DeSantis, to the contrast, all the Never Back Down pack, as well as uh, his personal X or Twitter page specifically highlighted religious liberty, not just from the Pray Vote Summit, but also from a Concerned Women for America event mm -hmm. uh, over this weekend. And so with this contrast, I'm also seeing a lot of conversation on social media and among conservatives saying, okay, well, wait a minute, we need to, to figure out exactly what this is in terms of our biblical values. And while President Trump may be, and, and I would agree with this, that he has been the most pro-life president, mm -hmm. um, is he staying with 
those values? Or is he now running to the left of Governor DeSantis? And that's been a very fascinating, uh, I think, genuine concern for a lot of conservatives to say, okay, he wants to have this clear contrast between him and DeSantis, but he's going to the left now instead of saying, I'm going to be even more pro-life than Governor DeSantis. I'm going to be more conservative, more protecting of religious liberty. He's now going to the left. Yeah, he does appear to be to the left of Governor DeSantis when it comes to abortion. But I can tell you on a lot of the other things uh, that are making the news that we're spending a lot of time covering these days, things like um, gender manipulation bans, uh, puberty blockers for kids, uh, men and women sports, that kind of stomp, tr- uh, that kind of stuff. Trump did say uh, that he was not in favor of um, uh, women in sports or men in sports. Excuse me. Uh, he did uh, talk about uh, gender manipulation bans and stuff like that. Uh, he made sure before he went through the list of what he's for, what he's against, uh, that he did say, quote, every promise I made to Christians was a promise delivered. And he went on to say, I'll do that same thing again as your president come 2025. Hmm. And and so all of these things, I think, are really important issues to have conservatives and particularly Christians and faith-based voters mm-hmm. a genuinely step back and say, okay, this isn't 2020 anymore where you actually have an incumbent and you have a, a uh, someone who is obviously going to be the nominee. This is more like 2016. And Christians were more skeptical uh, in 2016, not only of Donald Trump, but wanted uh, you know, back Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, people. Mm-hmm wanted to know where's your position on this how are you going to implement this and i think those questions chris need to be asked and answered by values voters because not only does donald trump have a record and he has a good one but he Mm -hmm. also needs to say what he's going to do um, in the future but also governor desantis has a record and uh, vivek doesn't have a record that's also an, an interesting phenomenon here um, and, and then, you know, the few others that are kind of lagging behind, but really this is coming down to a two-man race. And so um, from from your perspective, um, what should values-based based voters be looking for between the two candidates when we're getting um, this type of contrast? Well, uh, if you're a values voter, uh, think about what you really find important, the reasons that take you to the uh, the voting booth uh, on, on election days. Um and then watch uh, and read as much as you can. Um, watch speeches in their entirety. Read transcripts, things like that, to find out what these people said and the context in which they said it. Don't fall on CNN for however they might have portrayed it. Even we are brown, you know, pressed for time and trying to get you stories because our newscast can only be so long. I know it will take a little bit of time, but listen to Jenna's show. Try to find things on YouTube. Try to find transcripts and find out where a DeSantis of a vague. Uh, Donald Trump are on these issues. Um, Ron DeSantis, by the way, did finish second in the straw poll for vice president, uh, well ahead of uh, Tim Scott, Vivek, Nikki Haley, and some of those others. That might give you an idea of possibly, uh, you know, what people envision as a ticket going forward. There is a reason Trump picked Mike Pence back in 2016 to try to reach the people that were uh, fans of Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio. We'll see who he might pick again, assuming he gets that far. All right. Well, Chris Woodward, always appreciate it. Thanks so much for everything you do at AFR. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The medical establishment has been playing God with the lives of innocent babies for decades now. Many have grown callous because it seems surreal to think that over 64 million babies have been lost. 
Preborn will not stand silent, nor should we. We cannot stand by and let babies die at the hand of abortion. That's why preborn exists, to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. The only defense for these precious babies is their heartbeat, which begins at just three weeks and can be heard on ultrasound by five weeks. When a mother making that ultimate choice hears her baby's heartbeat and sees the precious life inside of her, the majority of the time she will choose life. By sponsoring an ultrasound for a mother, you are being the voice of the preborn. Please join Preborn in the cause for life. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And on Saturday morning, the impeachment trial of Attorney General Ken Paxton out of Texas came to its conclusion as the Senate in Texas voted uh, for acquittal on all 16 articles of impeachment. This was really important because a vote of conviction on any single article would have resulted in the automatic removal from that position. He's been on a suspension pending the outcome of this trial. And uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick uh, presided over the trial in the Senate, um, much like uh, Chief Justice John Roberts presided over the Senate uh, trial of Uh, President Trump during impeachment. And um, obviously, as the one presiding over the trial, um, he saw it as as his position to be um, very fair, very unbiased. But then at the conclusion of the vote and uh, the acquittal, he gave a really, really fiery speech um, that really exhorted the Senate and also specifically the House in Texas, not only to audit the impeachment, uh, but to amend the Texas Constitution so that impeachments could not be used for political purposes. And uh, it's a really excellent speech. You can find it out on YouTube. Um, There are a lot of clips on social media as well. And I just want to play this segment for you of Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. This is cut four. I want people in the future to have a full picture of what happened and how did we get here. I've spent most of the last 90 days, as many of you have, preparing for this trial. I've issued over 240 subpoenas. I've studied numerous motions, written multiple orders, read hundreds of pages of history, rules, documents, and worked on every detail of this trial with you and with our incredible Secretary of the Senate, the Clerk of the Court, who turned this chamber into a courtroom, and her great staff. I have had a total view of this process from the very first day the House sent over the Articles of Impeachment to us in May. With all due respect to the House, we didn't need to be told in the final arguments how important this vote was. I believe the quote was, this will, if you're like me, be the hardest and most difficult and the heaviest vote that you will ever cast in your time in the legislature. This vote will be the vote you're remembered for most. Our members already knew that and have known that for the last three months. If only the House members who voted for impeachment would have followed that instruction in the House, we may not have been here. In the House, the vote to send the articles of impeachment against the Attorney General to the Senate happened in only a few days, with virtually no time for 150 members to even study the articles. 
The Speaker and his team rammed through the first impeachment of the statewide official in Texas in over 100 years while paying no attention to the precedent that the House set in every other impeachment before. In the past, the House had transparent and open investigations for all to see, including other House members. The target of the investigation was notified and invited to attend with counsel and given an opportunity to cross-examine witnesses that were placed under oath before testimony was taken. At the conclusion of past House investigations, the evidence was laid out for weeks for House members to evaluate, not hours, before they took their vote on articles of impeachment. Representative John Smithy, a longtime House member who has argued cases before the Texas Supreme Court, spoke on the House floor during impeachment vote in May. He was one of only 23 who voted against impeachment. Representative Smithy said the House could not legitimately impeach General Paxton on the record because there was no record to send to the Senate. He said the House was not following the rule of law. He said the House approach, and I quote, Representative Smithy, hang them now and judge them later. Confirming this, Representative Murrah, the chair of the House Investigating Committee, said on the House floor, the House is not the body that does the fact-finding. The fact-finding occurs in the Senate, and the oath for any witnesses would occur there. Well, that's just not true. As Representative Smithy said, that's exactly what they did in 1917. He said the last House impeachment of the statewide official in 1917 was Governor Ferguson. John Smithy said it was conducted like a full trial before the House sent it to the Senate. Witnesses were put under oath and cross-examined by the defendant. He said this time no House witnesses were put under oath, and the defendant was denied the right to cross-examine. Representative Smithy told his fellow members the House process was indefensible. Representative Smithy said the House did not follow the rules of evidence, and their case was based on triple hearsay that would never be allowed in court. I think Representative Smithy's speech was one of the most honest and courageous speeches I've ever heard of in the House. That was Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. And uh, now joining me is Representative Brian Harrison, uh, who is from the great state of Texas. And uh, Representative Harrison, you have now called for the speaker to step down for empowering this Democrat effort while killing Republican priorities is what you tweeted. And you are also demanding the state auditor investigate how much tax money uh, was wasted on this impeachment. Good morning, Jenna. Yes, great to be with you. Um, and I really appreciate that you started this segment by playing those. That his truly historic speech from our great Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, what I just have to say is thank God for the Texas Senate. Um, the maturity uh, that they displayed in the way they conducted uh, themselves, the seriousness with which they took these charges, uh, the due process that they afforded the uh, accused, the presumption of innocence, all of this stands in stark contrast to the staggering incompetence and dishonest conduct by the leadership of the Texas House, where, and I'm not joking, Jenna, we had no idea, members of the Texas House of Representatives, that there was even a secret impeachment uh, investigation going on. We had no idea. We were not told. It was all done under the cloak of darkness. And then I literally had dropped on my desk 20 articles of impeachment. I was given no evidence, no opportunities to talk to a witness. No witnesses were put under oath. Not one witness was cross-examined. Not one member of the Texas House got to hear a single thing that would have constituted as evidence in any court in this country. 
And that is how the Texas House of Representatives chose to spend its final week of our short legislative session. We hadn't passed bills to secure the border. Uh, the Speaker of the House killed those bills. The leadership team of the Texas House uh, chose to kill bills to ban COVID mandates. They chose to kill uh, school choice. They chose to kill bills that ended uh, tyrannical emergency executive powers. Instead, they chose to do something w- which had the effect of removing from office, overturning an election, the election of a recently reelected attorney general who has proven that he's up to the most important job we got right now. That's fighting the tyranny and the unconstitutional overreaches of the, of the Biden administration. I was proud to vote no. I took to the floor of the House and begged my colleagues who were being lied to and pressured by the liberal leadership of the Texas House not to vote to impeach this guy with no evidence because the precedent that that would set could destroy Texas for generations to come if we're going to throw out due process and throw out a presumption of innocence. So, yeah, I think the only honorable thing to do at this point after killing Republican priorities all session and prioritizing this impeachment is for the speaker to step down. And then I want the state auditor's office. Uh, we got to get to the bottom of this. How much tax money was wasted? The leadership of the House said they would never have impa- uh, impeached Ken Paxton if he hadn't asked for a $3 million appropriation for a settlement. Well, I want to know, did this impeachment cost more than $3 million? And if so, what's the Texas House leadership going to do about it? But we need bold conservative leadership in the Texas House that does not take their marching orders from Democrats. And unfortunately, in the Texas House, people are going to be shocked to learn this. It's not Republicans that chair committees. There are some. But we put the chairmanship of our powerful Texas House of Representatives committees in the hands of very liberal Democrats for them to advance liberal priorities and kill conservative priorities. That happens every day in the Texas House, and it's time for that to change. Yeah, well, really good questions, uh, Representative Brian Harrison, uh, for that audit and for the leadership that this sounds like a, a modern day star chamber to just ram through an impeachment and try to oust a sitting attorney general for political purposes instead of following the rules of evidence, the rule of law and the precedent of impeachments that has been uh, laid out in the Texas state constitution and in the rules, uh, as the lieutenant governor very aptly said uh, in his remarks. And so where does this go from now for, for now um, and, and from now in terms of how an audit uh, really could be called and have some accountability for the speaker? So I'll find out more today. Going to be talking to the Texas state auditor's office and figuring out um, exactly what we've got to do. And I was really, really pleased um, Within an hour of me putting out my statement demanding an investigation from the auditor, uh, the lieutenant governor went to the microphone and made the exact same demand. Uh, I think within an hour of me calling for the speaker to step down, um, I was the first member of the Texas legislature to ask for the speaker to step aside. Other conservatives came forward, uh, the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, former President Trump, other conservatives in the House. Uh, The pressure is going to keep growing because, look, as you know, as well as I do, or maybe Jenna, as well as anybody in the country, um, that all of our liberties and our freedoms are on the line. We've got an out-of-control federal government. We no longer believe in just beating people in their arena of ideas. The, the liberal Marxist Democrats, they want to politicize political opponents. They want to, I'm sorry, they want to criminalize political opponents. They want Republicans and conservatives who are, who are bold and, and fearless and have a voice to defend the principles that made our country great. They want them in jail. They want them removed from office. Um, They're trying to do through impeachment and through the courts what they can't do at the ballot box. And that happened here in the Texas House of Representatives. People lose sight of this. They just assume it was Republicans that did this. It was not. The more Democrats in the Texas House voted to impeach Ken Paxton, 
Not one of those Democrats did it for principled reason. They did it because they want to overturn the election of a recently reelected attorney general. And we've got to have new leadership in the Texas House that does not allow Democrats to run the show. Yeah, incredibly well said. And I couldn't agree more that it's the Democrats and the leftists and and some uniparty Republicans, but a majority of of those on the left that are trying to weaponize the powers of government. This is what we're the definition of what President Trump talks about when he says uh, the weaponization of government. It's using these powers of government to uh, bad and wrongful ends and manipulating them outside the scope of what they're intended for. And the power of impeachment is not to be able to oust uh, someone from elected office that is simply not preferred. And and this was where uh, I thought that Tony Busby, who was the lead attorney for Ken Paxton, I mean, that dude is phenomenal. I was so impressed with him. And he said in his closing remarks, the Bush era ends today in Texas. And when he was talking, um, and, and this for listeners, you can go and watch uh, his whole closing argument out on YouTube as well, um, or Rumble. I, I prefer Rumble. But um, you can go and watch this. And he specifically talked about how um, George P. Bush, who was the um, opponent of Ken Paxton for the attorney general's office, didn't get elected. And this was one way that the Bush operatives in Texas were trying to oust uh, Ken Paxton because he won. And that is not what the power of impeachment is for. And that was a very persuasive argument. Yeah, go ahead. No, it just just amen and and amen and look, people want to just just blame the Democrats. That's just that doesn't tell the full picture. It actually lets the people that are really responsible, especially in Republican red states like Texas, off the hook. It, the Republicans, they're more Republicans in Texas in the Texas House. The Republicans are ultimately responsible for the things that liberal Democrats do. And and to your point on, well, actually two points on that. Um, I was in. The, I was a member of the, of the Trump administration, and I'm incredibly proud of the conservative victories that I was able to help deliver there. But the coalition that that was fighting us on a daily basis, the coalition of, of Marxist socialist Democrats, mainstream media, and liberal establishment Republicans, they tried to block every conservative thing we had to do. And and, and it's sad, having fought in the D.C. swamp against that coalition, Democrats, establishment Republicans, the media. I'm having to fight that exact same coalition in the bright red, freedom-loving, and great state of Texas. The mainstream media down here, the liberal Democrats, are all in league with very liberal establishment Republicans. And then to the second point, on what is the main purpose of impeachments? And I said this on the floor of the House. When I begged my colleagues on the floor of the House, from the front microphone on the day of the, they, they, they ran this impeachment through on a Saturday, holiday weekend, trying to hide it, I begged them, and I, I reminded my colleagues that impeachments – they're not primarily about the guilt or the innocence of whoever's being accused. But the point of impeachment is about protecting the integrity of the state and the integrity of our cherished institutions, because that's what's going to outlive us. That's going to outlive me. It's going to outlive you. Those institutions and our principles are going to be what govern my kids, govern my grandkids. And that's what's going to determine whether the next generation inherits a free Texas where individual liberty and due process would protect them from future would-be tyrants, or whether they grow up in a state and a nation where the ruling elite governed by edict and just wield their power to crush, criminalize, punish, and silence political opposition. And I could not sit silently by, and I will not sit silently by. 
and allow the next generation to be thrown um, to, the, to, to the tyrannical winds of future tyrants. That is so well said. And and I just want to underscore that point, because this is why impeachment is not a criminal proceeding. It doesn't have criminal consequences. The consequence for conviction of impeachment is removal from office. And so that's the purpose is to protect the institutions from tyrants, to oust uh, those who are using their office for unconstitutional or un-American purposes. And those have specific definitions. But we have criminal court rooms to punish actual criminal conduct. That's not what's going on in the context of impeachment. But Democrats want to conflate that. They want to make this a political process. They want to make it a modern day star chamber. And in just the last 30 seconds I have with you, uh, Brian Harrison, and I'm so grateful that you are part of the great state of Texas and their legislature, that you understand all of this and you're advocating for it. What can Texans do in terms of the Constitution to protect this awesome power of impeachment so that it doesn't get railroaded for political purposes in the future. Look, I, I think that the, the most important thing Texans can do is let the people that were elected to represent them know exactly how they feel. Your state representatives, your state senators, okay, your statewide elected offices, they work for you. They have staff that work for you. Destroy their phones. Call, uh, call them every day. Email them. Let them know how you feel about having the, the levers of government power weaponized against uh, a political enemy. All right, and, and we got to leave it there, Brian. Thanks so much. We'll yeah. have you back on, and we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And one of the things that I love to uh, do on this show and why I love being part of the American Family Association uh, family is because we not only get to look at news of the day and evaluate what's going on in political uh circles and in our culture and in our churches, but we should and get to evaluate this from a biblical truth-based perspective. And so when things come up in the news, uh, then we should always be asking ourselves, what is the truthful response? And truth, of course, is rooted in the Bible and in the person of God, who is truth. Everything that is good and right comes from the character and nature of God himself. And so to know truth is to know God. So when we see headlines uh, like we did this past week and this kind of uh, peaked over the weekend with uh, Lauren Boebert and with uh, Governor Kristi Noem and uh, some of the actions that uh, are alleged in the, the the media that has come out uh, for both of them. If you haven't heard about this, there is an allegation and there was a whole report about Governor Kristi Noem, who is married. She has kids and a grandmother um, who has been apparently, um, the allegation is having a years long affair uh, with another man who was a former uh, political operative for Donald Trump. And uh, she has denied the allegations and certainly has not uh, been remorseful or apologetic uh, for those things. And then Lauren Boebert, who is a congresswoman from my home state, uh, my former home state of Colorado, 
was at an event uh, last Sunday at the Buell Theater there in Denver. And um, this isn't a movie theater. It's it's a live action like at the Denver Center for Performing Arts. And she was there with a date. Uh, this has come out now that uh, her date is actually a Democrat a bar owner that is a, a gay-friendly bar and hosts drag shows. So we have to ask, why would she be dating uh, someone like that as she's going through the middle of a very public divorce herself? And uh, the allegation initially was that she was kicked out for uh, being loud, for taking videos, and for vaping. She denied, and her campaign denied vaping. And then we saw the security footage that clearly shows that uh, she was vaping. And then her campaign uh, came out and said that she just didn't recall that, which um, my concern would be if she doesn't recall that from last Sunday, then maybe there are some competence issues there, or perhaps it was just a, you know the the straight denial that campaigns do when they thought that uh, there wasn't security video. But also on the security video, um, and and I would just say that if you watch any of this video, know that it is um, adult content only. Do not let your kids see this security video, because uh, her. Her date and her boyfriend and her were clearly uh, groping each other and were, um, you know, very much doing some things in public that I would term as uh, lewd behavior and um, very indecent for a for any sort of public setting, but particularly when you're at an event where there are children um, on the video. There was a a young child, probably you know maybe. 12, I would estimate, you know, somewhere in that range that was behind her in uh, in the seats. And um, this was just inappropriate on a lot of different levels. So this all comes out. And uh, the reaction from the general conservative consensus on social media, on media and people who are discussing this is, well, so what? So what? Okay, so she made a mistake. So she didn't, she, you know, it was it was dark. She thought it was going to be fine. You know, she's out on a date. And, you know, what one of us has has never done something in public that we regret, right? So it's, it's very much diminishing the nature of uh, these actions. And the the standard by which a lot of people evaluated this was whether or not her voting record is good for conservatives and um, and whether or not she supports Donald Trump. Ultimately, that that really was the standard for the wider swath of MAGA and certainly not everybody, but generalizing uh, the the comments, it was, well, because we like Lauren Boebert, then we don't care what she did. And, um, you know, who are you to, to cast the first stone and um, using all kinds of Bible verses out of context. So I want to talk about this from a biblical worldview perspective, because there are two categories here of our responses. The first one is inherently political uh, because she is a member of Congress, just like Christy Nome is the governor of South Dakota. And we need to be asking ourselves as conservatives and people who are concerned about those in elected office, um, should we support them? Now, I'm not calling for their resignation or certainly not their impeachment, you know, anything like that. But we should be asking ourselves, particularly with respect to Lauren Boebert, who only won her district in the last election by less than 600 votes. There was a mandatory recount because it was so close. She's lost a lot of support. 
should the Colorado GOP primary her in order to keep that seat? We only have a four seat majority right now in Congress. Right. So that's the political question. And and I and I have opinions on that and we can discuss politics all day. Right. So that's the political question. But for purposes of today, I want to talk about the Christian perspective, because that is totally separate from the politics, the Christian perspective has to respond and ask the question, what should the Christian response be when a person like Lauren Boebert, who holds herself out to be a Christian, is acting like this in public? What should the Christian response be? Now, I don't care for purposes of the Christian conversation, whether she's a public figure, whether she's a member of Congress, anything else. For purposes of Christian truth, we should care that she is holding herself out as a Christian. She commits this conduct that's on video and she's is since issued um, an apology for it. And we should ask, well, what does the Bible require of Christians? Is this something where we should stand back and say, well, um, you know, we, who are we to judge? Um, you know, I, I saw some comments saying, well, you know, King David was an adulterer and a murderer. So, you know, her conduct is far less than that. And, um, you know, we'll look at Al Franken, who was the senator who uh, who resigned for sexual harassment. Well, her conduct was far less. And, and my response would be, well, Al Franken is not the standard here. Our, our conduct when we are before Christ our conduct is not, well, Lord, we we were less than Al Franken, the, the Democrat, so, uh, so, so we're fine over here. No, the standard is always biblical truth. And what does God require from us? And what does he require of the body of Christians when we are looking at behavior like this? Well, the Bible talks about the difference between confession saying you're sorry, saying you're sorry you got caught versus this concept of repentance. And repentance is a very, very different thing in scripture. And what does the Bible say about repentance? It is prolific throughout scripture in Acts. Therefore, repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Second Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In Luke, no, I tell you, Unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Those are the words of Jesus. From that time, Jesus began to preach. This is in Matthew 4, saying, Repent, for the king, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First John, if we confess and repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acts, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I could go on and on and on. Um, Matthew 3, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we are called clearly to repentance. What is repentance? Well, in, in, the, con, in, in the concept of obviously repenting and receiving salvation, uh, that is coming out from under the federal headship of Adam and of uh, of eternal damnation and death and coming into the federal headship of Jesus Christ where there is salvation. And once we are accepting of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have repented of our sins, which doesn't just mean confessing and saying, yeah, okay, I'm sorry I got caught, but truly 
being remorseful and understanding that your conduct goes against the standard of God himself and wanting to come into a closer relationship with him and to perfect ourselves until the day of Christ's return or until he calls us home. That is the Christian life to to better our conduct, not because we think we can be perfect. Perfection is a very high standard, but because we want to come into conformity with our Lord and Savior and be as close to Christ as possible and continue to live out our Christian life and separate ourselves from sin. So repentance for salvation is a one-time thing for Christians, but repentance in terms of our sin that, as the Apostle Paul says, so easily besets us, that is a continual thing. That is the process of sanctification. And so in, um, in terms of what repentance means, The Greek word is metanoia, or the noun for repentance, or, uh, and the verb means to repent. This means a change of mind, which results in a change of lifestyle. This is, according to 2 Corinthians 7.10, this is the godly sorrow that produces repentance, and it's the repentance that results in forgiveness by God. So metanoia is not just saying, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, or making excuses for your behavior, or um, just saying, you know, like Lauren Boebert did in her apology. She just said, well, you know, I'm so sorry. I was so excited. That's not repentance. That's not a godly sorrow that produces repentance. Metanoia is a complete reversal of one's inward attitude. It's to change one's attitude towards self, towards sin, toward God, toward Christ. So this repentance is manifested by the sinner turning away from his evil way, from all his transgressions, his idols, the abominations of sin, his thoughts. Repentance is a profound change of mind involving the changing of direction of life from self-centeredness or sin-centeredness from the, the sin of humanity and to or toward God or to Christ-centeredness. So this is what was lacking, for example, in two um, very specific cases in the Bible, which um, Esau and Judas. And remember Esau, of course, in um, in the early scriptures in, uh, in Genesis, when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, and he was remorseful over that. Um, he was... He was sad that he had done that, but that didn't lead ultimately to repentance and for this profound sorrow and for changing his, his way of life and asking God for forgiveness. And we see that clearly in scripture, just like we see um, Judas who had betrayed Jesus. And there are most conservative scholars, biblical scholars would say that the reason that Judas betrayed Christ, he was one of his disciples. He believed in him. He believed that he was Messiah coming uh, for the, the kingdom of God. But he, like other uh, Jews at the time, wanted Jesus to come at that point with the sword and basically overthrow the Roman government and to institute his kingdom then and there. So this was uh, what a lot of scholars believe was the motivation behind Judas's betrayal. And when that didn't happen and Jesus was given up to be crucified, 
Then in Matthew 27, it says, when morning came, all of the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So here we have what a lot of people would say is repentance, right? But, but clearly it's not because he was, Judas was remorseful. He made restitution by bringing back what he had been paid, the 30 pieces of silver. He even said, I have sinned. But what was missing here? Even though he was remorseful, made, uh, made restitution, and even said, I have sinned, he did not repent. And that biblical definition of metanoia, which is a change of mind, which results in a change of lifestyle, the godly sorrow, according to 2 Corinthians, the repentance that results in forgiveness from God, that's the, that is what the Bible calls us to when that word metanoia is used profoundly through the New Testament. So I don't see, and, and of course, you know, I'm not at all the, the, um, the pastor or anybody uh, of Lauren Boebert, but for someone who just says, well, I'm sorry I got excited. I'm sorry, you know, that, um, that this was a little bit, you know, risque. She's not evidencing anything that is repentance according to scripture. So whatever we think politically of this, we need to, as Christians, always be concerned about living our Christian lives and calling others that all of the one another's in scripture, one of them is to exhort our fellow Christians to come into repentance and a right way and live their life Christianly. So think about this. And I'll see you tomorrow morning right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.